Isaiah chapter 6 is where we're going to be. And as we get started here, I, I know that um, this is our concern. We just sang a song about gazing on the beauty of Christ. Now, most of us who are regular church attenders, you know, we, we claim faith in Christ. Um, there's some who come that may not claim faith in Christ. Uh, but, you know... We understand that it's not necessarily everyone in here is a believer. This is a meeting time to worship God, to open up His Word and and look at it and consider it. But that doesn't mean that everyone in here is a believer. We want to uh, bring forth the Word of God and do our best to make it clear. Here's the Gospel. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you remember back when we started um, 2016 in, you know, back in the first part of January, we did some messages on revival. And in Second Chronicles 7.14, um, we, you don't need to turn there. If you want to write it down, Second Chronicles 7.14, we talked about the issue of if my people who are called by my name... Okay? If they'll humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin. Now, most all of us that have heard that, we, we like that. We're, we're on board with that. That's, yep, that's a great verse. And we want that for our country. We want to see our country come back to God. But you know what the problem is? We're not Israel. And yet, the verse is, is very important to us individually. Individually, we need to be there. If my people who are called by my name, you Christian, then we humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face. That's what's critical. And now, shift gears now with me into this subject regarding God's holiness. Listen, I've got glasses on for a reason. You've got glasses on for a reason. You take the glasses off, the reader's off, and everything goes what? Blurry. Can't quite see. I know it's my Bible, but I just can't read it. I'll show you. I can read the numeral six. Okay? Got it? That's about it. (laughs) You young people, just wait. <laughs> Things start going, right? Things start going south, as they say. Okay. Every one of us has a vision problem. Whether you've got glasses or not. And the problem that we have is that we, re, we do the re-imaging of God. We're pretty good at that. We do a re-imaging work on God. Oh no, we're not making him, you know, like some stupid wooden idol. We don't do that. But we re-image God, and here's what I mean. That 
the great vast problem in America has been to re-image God into he loves you. He forgives you. You can pray to him and he'll do pretty much anything you ask, I think. We re-image God in that way. You say, what's the matter with that? There's nothing wrong with that. You're right. There's nothing wrong with that if we leave it at that. Do you understand me? If we leave it at just that, then it's all about moi. That God responds to me. He loves me. He forgives me. He wants to answer my prayers. All these things. He wants to make life really nice for you. That's the imaging that we do with God. We've got to be careful of that. Yes, we've got, I have it, you have it. We've got a problem with being self-centered. And what we want to do is, is get the, the scripture glasses on and see life through the perspective of his word. Not just through what God does for me. Okay? Um, again, I don't want to just rule out that, you know, well... We're not going to teach that God loves you. Of course we want to teach that. God loves you. But the problem is we build and we mount on that theme and that idea that it's all about what God does for me. And when it comes right down to it, I really don't need the, you know, this or that. You know, I, as long as God blesses my life and makes things go smooth, I'm, I'm pretty good. But that's not the, uh, the true image of the Christian life or of God, is it? And what we want to do is have the best kind of um, understanding of the word. When we use understanding, we're using the term perspective, aren't we? It's, it's a similar word. You want the right pers- perspective on things regarding God. Just like you do regarding life, regarding work and, and things at home. We want the right perspective. So this perspective, if we're going on this idea that... Um, God forgives my sin, God loves me, God wants to answer my prayer. If we go on that perspective, we're missing the key attribute that ties everything together for the Christian and the Christian life, okay? And that's God's holiness. The fact that God is holy. And the, the reason why we experience a weakness in Christian living or a dryness in Christian living is because we don't experience revival. What I mentioned at the beginning, we don't experience revival on a on somewhat of a regular basis. You say, well, I thought revival was, you know, something that the church did or something. No, revival is what happens in your heart or in my heart, in my life, your life, when we respond to God in the way he's instructed us. Like, I, if I sin, when I sin, it's not if I sin, I will sin, you will sin. What do you do about it? Do you kind of skirt it under the table and say, well, God forgives? Because we all know God forgives. Well, we've got to get a little more specific, don't we? We need to say, I need to confess that sin. What does that mean? I say what God's already said about it. I need to admit it to Him. I need to confess it to Him. 
forgiveness is already uh, attained in the Christian life, if you're a Christian, forgiveness is already there. He's already forgiven you of your sins. You need to confess that and make things right. Thus, building on those little simple building blocks of the Christian life, you carry on in maturity. Okay? So, it's a concern about this issue of re-imaging God that undermines... Listen, if we are re-imaging God, we might not even know it, but if we are, we're really undermining the Christian's conditioning and strengthening process. So, His holiness is what we want to focus on. And let's think of it as blurry vision right now, maybe even partial blindness to His holiness with the Word of God, with the Word being allowed to sink into our minds deeply, we can start to see more clearly and start to see more and more of His real beauty. Now, I'm not saying no one's doing that, okay? I'm just saying that's the the overall concern for us, that we start seeing more clearly the holiness of God. We need that clear vision or that clear sighting of who He is. And really, there's no better place than Isaiah chapter 6. Okay? So, let's look at this. So that we might get steadied and stabilized better in our lives, keeping a a sight or a vision of God's holiness. Number one. In your outline, if you want to follow along there, number one, seeing God for who He is, His great glory. His great glory. And we already kind of covered some of these things last week, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but letter A under number one is the picture of His excellencies. There's no one like Him. He's high and lifted up. See that? Okay? I saw the Lord in verse 1, chapter 6. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and and the train of His robe filled the temple. Okay, all throughout the Psalms we see this exaltation of God about His excellencies. Okay, then letter B. Letter B is the picture of godly reverence or godly fear. And that's from the seraphim. And here, it's like, here's all the host of heaven. The the great host of heaven, humbly, reverently, recognizing Him for who He is. They're seeing God for who He is. In this, it's a vision that Isaiah has. It's not a, it's not a, um, something that has actually happened. It's a vision that Isaiah sees. So we have the picture of His excellencies, then this picture of godly fear from the, the seraphim. Something that we can learn about. Saying, we ought, to, we ought to have this kind of reflection in our worship. In our lives. And you stop and think about it. And you, you, I think we can see there is that issue of kind of making God our big buddy. He's the kind of the celestial grandpa in glory, isn't he? That, that's how some people see it. They might not say it in that exact way, but that's kind of some of the ways it it, it comes about. The great grandpa in glory, that he kind of overlooks our sins and and that's okay. He skirts it. He, He pushes it under the carpet or whatever. No. 
remember, when we think that, we need to remember one thing. He didn't skirt our sin. He didn't push it under the carpet. He punished His Son. He, he punished His own Son for our sins. Okay? He's a perfect, holy God. So, letter C is the picture of His great fame and glory. His great honor and fame, if you will. And this is what we wanted to mention here. We, we covered it last week a little bit, but whole, they, the seraphim are calling one, one called to another and said, holy, holy is, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Many people take that, that three-peat him, holy, 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 and immediately say, oh, that's, that, there's the Trinity. And yeah, that's good. We need to understand it. Um, each member of the Trinity of the Godhead is holy. Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit. But there's something more to it than just that the Trinity is holy. It's that there's a great emphasis put on it. And that's what the hearer is supposed to get. The emphasis of God's holiness. The emphasis that it's supposed to be lasting, exalting praise of His holiness. So, holy, holy, holy. And then it says, the whole earth is full of His glory. How does that happen? How does the whole earth get full of His glory? Well, let's look at the term glory, okay? Glory, it's this Hebrew word, kabad, kabad. And uh, just to help with it a little bit, you might be very familiar with the story of... It's Eli, the priest, had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And Phinehas' wife was bearing a child. And Hophni and Phinehas died because of God's judgment against them. They both died. The woman, Eli's daughter-in-law, ends up delivering the baby. And what did she name him? Ichabod, Ichabod, and then it was explained in the scriptures that the 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 glory has what departed. The glory has departed. Okay, so that's a kind of a negative way of looking at this term that um, we want to now look at in the positive light. The word kabod. They this is the term for glory. And it indicates something that's weighty, something that's of substance versus something that's very light and frivolous. And that's the idea. There's something there. God's glory points out that God is truly of substance, truly of great meaning, okay, of great value. If you have... Um, Little, little tiny pieces of gold versus uh, about you know fifty bricks of gold. <laughs> you see the difference there. There's here's real substance to this and weight, heaviness to it, good heaviness. This is the idea of glory, God's glory. And so it's only it's something that points out that the fact that God is to be trusted. God is to be 
magnified and glorified. And only as we start seeing, start here, seeing God for who He is, will you be able to recognize Him. What God would have us to see next is our condition. Point number two, seeing ourselves for who we are. Isn't that, here's, here's the, the next thing that happens in the vision. Isaiah, you know, in verse five, he says, woe is me. I'm lost. Okay. And others have said it and I'll say it here too. It was not a wow moment. Like, oh, wow, that's cool. This vision was not a wow moment, it's a woe moment. Woe is me. Why? Just because Isaiah was a really good guy. He was a real spiritual guy. Maybe that's why it was. That's That's not what it was about. His woe came from what he understood. Here's what he sees. Here's what he's heard and here's what he sees. And his response is, I, I, woe is me. I'm cursed is what he said. Letter A. He's basically saying, I'm cursed. He's overwhelmed by the holy perfections of God. We don't hear much about this in our church age right now. We don't hear much about it. Because we want more of a, the personal touch. You know, God really loves us. You know, something along that line. And I understand that. That we, we need to understand that. That's good. I'm not trying to rule that out. But that's what we get in a, in a bulk <laughs> portion. You know, we don't get the holiness factor that much. But when you look at Scripture and, and try to understand the responses of people when they saw a vision of God or they had a... They had God visit them. What did they do? They, they buddied up to, to God in, in this time? No. They were all similar like this. They, they all were f- feeling, I'm condemned. I, I am, woe is me, is the, their sense there. Think of it. Think of it, the, um, the situation with Job. You know, he, he comes to a point where he says, I abhor myself. Because I've seen God here. I've, I've understood God. Ezekiel, Daniel, Peter, the apostle says it. Depart from me, I'm, a, I'm an unclean man. And then John, in his vision in Revelation, John sees it. Okay. And like Isaiah, they all responded with this tremendous sense of unworthiness. See, this is the, the neat thing, folks. We have... In Christ, we're now worthy, aren't we? Yes? We're now worthy because of Jesus. But sometimes this is the kind of message that we need to hear because without Jesus, this is the very thing where we're at. Woe is me. I am cursed. Letter B under number two. I am undone. I'm ruined. That's what he's saying. There is no hope for me in my sin before His holiness. Let her see. I'm guilty. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. So the, the, here's how he sees himself before a holy God. Letter A, I'm cursed. Letter B, I'm ruined or undone. 
Letter C, I'm guilty. I think Isaiah understood what Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Matthew 12, 34, where Jesus said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, what? The mouth speaks. He understood the condition of his heart. But here's what he said. I'm a man of unclean lips. You know, this today... um, it's like uh, seeing ourselves for who we are in God's sight gives us this sound doctrine moment. A sound doctrine moment. And today we spotlight total depravity. Total depravity. Meaning what? There's nothing within you that makes things right with you and God. There's nothing whatsoever You don't have a spark inside of you to make things right with God. You don't. This is what the Bible talks about and theologians call total depravity or total inability. Romans chapter 3. There is none righteous, no, not one. Ephesians 2. We're all dead spiritually. Just dead spiritually. A dead dead person here is not going to respond to anything that you or I do. They're dead. That's what we are spiritually before God until what? Regeneration takes place by the Holy Spirit working in your life to waken you, to make you alive to the things of truth and allowing you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So that's everyone That's what the Bible tells us. Everyone, yes, everyone is infected by sin's virus. And it's what we chose. We chose that virus, if you will, over glorifying God. That's what Adam and Eve did. They chose the virus of themselves and their own glory over God and His glory. We can relate it easily to this thing of cancer, right? You think of cancer inside of a person. With cancer, you don't sit there and look at the person's body and say, we hate that thing. We don't say we hate the body, do we? We don't say we hate the person. But I tell you what, I hate cancer. Now, we get that because we got people, Gene, Melissa, Ron, others, to deal with cancer. But all of us have the virus of sin. And it's separated you from God. And you are God's enemy until what? The remedy has been given. And the remedy is Jesus. His shed blood on your behalf. And this is what we see coming up now. Okay? There's no escaping this virus. Isaiah sees there's no hope for him. There's this unworthiness, if you will. Now, I'm not saying, you know, we we totally get it and and we can be specific that, no, Isaiah wasn't a believer. I'm not sure. You know, I, I think Isaiah was already believing in God. You know, he's a prophet. But here's the picture for us to understand. Here comes 
Point number three, seeing God's good work. And what is that? The gospel. We've seen it throughout the Old Testament and we see it proclaimed in the New Testament. And look at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now, I get it that this might have been just simply in preparation for his service as a prophet. We can live with that. Well, that's right. But what we want to understand is, is here's a bigger picture of the gospel being brought forth in the Old Testament. Okay? Seeing the gospel here is seeing God's good work. Letter A, it starts with sacrifice. Sacrifice. He flew, the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal. Well, that, that relates to his something from the altar. That's where the seraphim retrieved it from. He got it from the altar. And it's got sacrifice kind of written all over it. Here's the idea of sacrifice. And what was sacrifice in the Old Testament pointing towards? Blood. Blood sacrifice. A life given for a life. And it was lamb after lamb after lamb slaughtered and killed for pointing to one thing. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus. So being made right with God has to come by way of sacrifice. And that's what Jesus came for. To give his life an offering for sinners. Jesus, being the good shepherd, lays down his life offering for the sheep. And Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And then, so sacrifice is a segue, letter B, to what? Cleansing. Segue for cleansing. What's happened? Thus, the burning coal, symbolic of sacrifice, used to bring about his cleansing. The angel, divinely appointed, grabs the coal and touches his mouth with it. Okay? He had, he touched my mouth in verse 7 and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Okay? And what had Isaiah done to this point? He's just sitting there and taking in the vision, isn't he? He's responding to what he's seen and what he's hearing. He did understand one thing. We just said it earlier. He saw himself for who he really was. <laughs> He saw himself as God saw him, as a sinner. He brought that forth. There's confession, confession of sin, acknowledgement of sin. Okay? By the way, under number two, that's our greatest need. I don't think I mentioned that, but that's our greatest need. Okay? To see, really, to see ourselves in that condition. Why? If we don't see ourselves in that condition, what need do I really have? I don't really need God. But if I see myself in that condition, then I recognize, oh, 
God's the one I'm accountable to. God's the one I'm going to answer to. So, letter A was it's, um, under number three. It starts with sacrifice. Letter B is a segue for cleansing. God's purifying work brings forth. That's what we uh, sang songs about in our singing time this morning. Then letter C, secures a full pardon. Secures a full pardon. The angel said, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. That's how anyone comes to have a full pardon of their sin. So, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Sacrifice. Cleansing. Forgiveness. What does forgiveness mean to you, you who are believers in Jesus? What does that mean to you? Think about that. What are the ramifications of God's forgiveness of your sin? It's more than just a ticket to heaven. It's got stability underneath that. And, and say, now I can live in the way God's intended me to live my life. And I don't have to, you know, go all over. I don't, I don't need to, even though I sometimes am, I'm swayed by the, the sense of guilt in my life. I need to get that right with God in the way He's instructed us in His Word. 1 John 1, 9, Psalm 51, confess your sins. Make things right with God. Don't just act like, hey, everything's going to be fine with God and me as long as I just keep uh, going to church and, and giving at church and singing when I'm supposed to sing and all that stuff. <laughs> no. It's supposed to be a close, intimate relationship. And it's based on the fact that He made sacrifice for you. You and I respond with saying, yes, I need you today. I need to abide in you now. So, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So, that's the idea that we see then in these opening points. Number one, seeing God for who He really is, His great glory. Number two, seeing ourselves for who we really are, there's our greatest need. Number three, seeing God's good work. It's the gospel. And then number four, it's all building up to this. His good will for your life. Young people, I want to speak to you right now about this in regards to point number four. It's important that you, you know, figure out what, what you're good at doing, what you want to do and aim for in, in your um, furthering education in life. But if you don't have this nailed down, you're going to be blown about all over the place. And so I want to encourage you, you young students in this regard, get nailed down with knowing the will of God. Embrace that. Older folks, we need to be challenged in the same way to embrace what the will of God is. And you say, well, I don't know what the will of God is. We make it too difficult. We, we kind of make it out like God's hid something and I got to go figure out where it is. I got to go search for God's will. And so I get tired of searching, so I give up and I say, oh, I don't know what God's will is in my life. 
We make it too complicated. Number one, are you saved? If you're saved, are you in the will of God? Yes. Everyone say yes. Yes. You're in the will of God. God desires that no man perish, but that all come to faith. That's his desire. His will for you is that you come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior and then live for him. Don't just say, well, I got my my place reserved in heaven and live however you want to live. That's not what this passage is talking about. It's saying now, he says there in verse 8, and I heard the Lord, uh, I, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Now, I know that this is specifically regarding a prophet and that none of us have that office or calling as a prophet like the old testament prophets none of us are there but what we are is if we're a child of god we respond to and submit to here's the will of god for your life be ready to serve okay under number four it's about here this is the believer's consecration the believer's consecration there in number four then letter four a it's just simply to serve That's what God's designed for you. You get saved. Now you start serving. You serve him in your life. Your life is no longer with you on the throne. It's with him on the throne. Now start serving him. That's his will. Not just for the really spiritual guys and gals. That's his will for all of his family. All his family. To serve him. What did he make you for? If you're saved, what did he make you for? Living for him, giving him glory, trusting him, praising him, all that. And this is a life of, we say it's a life of worship. It's a life of worship. And and some of us get that idea of worship out of focus. We think worship is coming to a cool concert and, oh, the worship was everywhere. And what's the focus get on? Suddenly, it goes more towards this concept of worship rather than God. What happens? It's our fault for how we re- do the re-imaging of Christian things. <laughs> Let's stay focused on worshiping God. Now, let me say this about worship. It's more than our time together here on Sunday. You know that. It's a, a life of worship, which a lot of times in the Old Testament, especially, well, and even the New Testament, there's a, there's a, a parallel between worship and serve. Worship the Lord. Serve the Lord. They're similar terms. In fact, sometimes the, the very term, um, I think it's latreo, is in the Greek language. It's used either way, worship or serve. Your life on Tuesday afternoon is a life of worship. <laughs> okay? Or Thursday morning. Or Friday night. It, whatever. We need to think of it in that way. But I like to categorize my life. I like to, you know, do my own thing. I, can I call the shots? Well, yeah, but you and I need to grow in wisdom and grow in knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to determine, you know what? He didn't, he, he, he's not a savior that's just kind of a, a call on savior. Hey, come and help me. 
That's not what he came to do. He came to save you and be your Lord. Be your master. Okay? So, under number four, letter A is to serve. Okay? It's for his good pleasure that we would give him the glory in our lives. Letter B is to serve willingly. That's what he said. Here He, he comes in and he says in the vision, Here am I. Send me. Willingly. And let's add along with letter B, lovingly. Isn't that the way he would have it? You and I know what it was like when we were trying to train our little children. Sam Swenson, come here. Sam, you need to do this. And now, how would he respond? How would your child respond? And a lot of times, they didn't respond willingly, did they? They responded, okay. Was that? Yeah. Willingly or begrudgingly? What is a servant to do? Willingly, lovingly, okay? That's the idea. How do you get there? Be in the Word. Spend time in the Word, learning of Jesus, right? Do it. Uh, Psalm 100, what does it say? Serve the Lord with gladness. Gladness. And sometimes, you know, it's just like we, we get off track from that and we get, oh, I got to do this. And we, we get our sights, we said in Sunday school this morning, we get our sights set on the circumstances rather than the Savior. Okay, letter C. Serve Him faithfully. What was Isaiah facing? When you read the rest of chapter 6, you're going to see that things were not going to go real smooth for Isaiah. In fact, tradition says that he was cut in two as his execution. How do you like that for a future of serving the Lord? What did the other disciples face in serving the Lord? They literally gave up their lives. You and I... We, we always come back to doing it figuratively speaking. Well, God calls us to serve Him, to serve Him willingly, lovingly, with a glad heart, with a grateful heart, and then serve Him faithfully. Keep at it. Keep looking to your Master, the Lord Jesus, because people will not always respond to ministry, to the gospel, to the love that we might have to offer them. They're not going to respond. That's what we see in Isaiah. Isaiah was called to just preach a message that was going to distance his people, Israel, from the message. Was that any different than Jesus when he came? When Jesus came, you, you think, oh, wait a minute. There's a whole bunch of multitudes of people that follow Jesus. Why? Why did they follow him? Because of what he did for them. His miracles. But then as he started talking more, people fell, fell away from him. Started walking away from him. John chapter 6. So the idea is that we would learn to serve the Lord. That's what you're designed to do. His will for your life. That we would serve him willingly, faithfully. And then saying, Lord, have your way with us here 
Okay. So by allowing the Word of God to speak truth to us about God and who He really is, then I gain a better vision for God, for who He really is. And then I see, as I look at God more and more and more in His Word, then I start seeing myself for who I really am according to God's Word. I've grown up in a life and... Here we all are. We've all grown up in this life. And so much of the emphasis of my life has been, Woody, what about, you know, it's about you. That's the subtle thing. I've seen it with our grandkids. We want to focus on our grandkids. We want to pour gifts out to our grandkids. It's all about our grandkids. That's okay. But if I leave out God and the gospel, then it's not okay. Because what is it, what is it promoting? That it's all about little Wyatt or little Ellery or Hudson or whoever. Folks, we gotta be challenged in this way to see God for who He really is and respond like the seraphim did in reverent fear of God. Now, This is the incredible thing. We have Jesus as our Savior who's opened the way for us to come and worship Him and call Him out as Abba, Father. But let's not forget this. This is the great effect of God's holiness upon us. And maybe you admit to having blurry vision when it comes to understanding God for who He is. So let the Word of God be the salve that you put on your eyesight. Let the Word of God be that which you put on your eyes so that you'll see God more clearly in His holiness. And what will happen when we put that salve on our eyes and that, and that here's the, the influence and the perspective of the Word of God, letting the Word of God be what teaches us truth. Then we can say, like psalmist in Psalm 29. Give unto the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's what we want to do. We want to respond and worship Him in the beauty of holiness that is our, you know, here's what we would have. But we know it's all about His holiness. He's the source of holiness. and We want to respond in the beauty of holiness and worshiping Him. A clearer vision of God. That's what we're aiming for. That's what we want to encourage one another with so that we see God is high and lifted up. That's what so much of the Scripture is saying. He's high and lifted up. So let's us respond in that way. That He is holy. That's His name. Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. He reigns in His holiness. Okay. If my people who are called by my name. What's his name? His name. Let's just say it. His name is holy. His name is holy. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. God is holy. Let's pray.
Thank you, dear God, for all that you've accomplished. Thank you for ruling and reigning supremely above all else. Thank you that you don't need to make any improvements because you're perfect. Thank you, Lord, that you don't grow weary. You don't grow weary of hearing us. Lord, your spirit, however, is quenched or grieved by our behavior when we do not confess sin, when we do not walk in holiness. Help us to remember that. And may you be glorified in our lives here today. Help us to remember that the work of your Holy Spirit is to bring about uh, holiness in our lives. May we uh, be found fighting against sin and not letting it reign or dominate in our lives. And may we be uh, lifting up praise to you because you are. You are the Holy One. You're the Exalted One. And we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.